Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Get That Bread, a podcast discussing value investing strategies. And this is episode two. I'm your host, Stephen Lee. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the investment research process and all the critical documentation that's going to be required for you to make an informed decision. But before we even get there, I want to talk about how does one even source these ideas to begin with? Now, there are a plethora of resources out there, whether it's through publications like the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Barron's is a great one, Fortune 500 magazine. You know, even if you go online, there's going to be even more resources like Seeking Alpha and various blogs for you to be able to source ideas. And for those of you who are a little bit more sophisticated, obviously you can go straight to the SEC, look at 13, uh, 13F filings, 13D filings, um, see what institutional investors are doing. Uh, and, and you know, look, if you want to look at spinoffs, there's Form 10 filings. There's, there's a lot of stuff out there. But for those of you guys who kind of want to just do a quick search and, and also to do the research on your own, I think one efficient place to start is uh, utilizing stock screeners. Now, I understand that stock screeners, some of you guys may say, okay, they're going to they're only going to spit out, you know, stocks that are cheap on a quantitative basis. Quantitative basis meaning only like low PE, low price to book stocks. That's fair, but I think nonetheless it's still a good starting place to efficiently narrow down the list of prospective investments. So all you need to know about stock screeners are that they're simply filters. They filter out all the stocks that are in the stock market um, based on some pre-established criterion which you uh, enter into the screener and it'll spit out some list of companies. And so let me clarify. So if you want to look at stocks that have market capitalizations of under 50 million, you just simply put that into the screener and it'll pump out all every single company that is uh, trading at under 50 million market cap. Now, the beauty of that is because uh, there are currently some 3,600 stocks listed on U.S. exchanges as of 2017 and according to Bloomberg. And so that's just far more than any individual investor or analyst can cover at any point in time. Even if you had 365 days, uh, you still wouldn't be able to conduct um, deep dives into every single one of the companies. So that's why I, I think stock screeners are going to be a really efficient starting place for you to be able to... Uh, at least narrow down the list of prospective ones, prospective investments. Again, it's just the starting place. It's not the end destination. The way I like to think about, at least thematically, how I like formulating my my screeners is I'm looking for companies that have really gone through the grinder. People where, meaning like the shareholding base has kind of been rotating out. They're dumping the shares. Uh, the company still generates earnings. But it's a company that's just simply unloved for whatever reason. And it's in those kinds of situa- situations where I think you can, uh, by chance, come across some real gems. And so what I like doing is, uh, in the screener itself, I like putting in companies that have touched their 52-week lows, who have just recently touched their 52-week lows, Um Shares that have seen price performance where the, they've declined dramatically in a short period of time, dramatically like over 50% within, let's say, a 30, 60 day window, uh, market capitalization of over 25 million per share price of under 10 and a PE of under five. 
So let me just really quickly walk through the rationale behind these. Again, the 52-week low and the price declines, I'm looking for unloved stocks, stocks that have quote-unquote fallen from grace. Uh, market capitalizations of 25 or over 25 million, I think that I put that in there because I'm not looking for companies that are super so, so small, that have no public disclosures, that are completely illiquid. Illiquid meaning there are there are no volumes or no shares being traded between buyers and sellers. I need to be able to go in and out of these stocks per share price of under 10. I remember reading a book by Joel Greenblatt who used to manage Gotham Capital. He's a very famous value investor. At the time that he had written the book, he said that many institutional investors will stray away from holding low price stocks like $10 per share and under. So according to him, those kinds of classification of stocks have, again, quote unquote, fallen from grace. And PE under five, the reason why PE under five is because for me, that's just some subjective measure to say, hey, these valuation stocks are very, very low. Uh, they're very cheap on a price to earnings basis. So if you're brand new to the PE multiple, essentially, the math is, or rather, it's simply a ratio, a ratio between the price you're paying relative to the earnings per share that you're getting back, the profits per share that you're getting back. And so if I, if you think about what a five times PE multiple stands for, it simply means I'm paying $5 for every dollar in profit um, the company generates a year. One way to think about it is I would have to wait five years before the company generates enough earnings to pay me back in terms of share profits, assuming earnings per share remain stable over that period of time. Another way you can kind of interpret the PE multiple is by simply inverting it. So instead of PE, it's E over P, earnings per share over price per share. So that effectively gives you earnings yield. So if you were to invert five over one, you get one over five, that means you get an earnings yield of 20%. So what is that kind of synonymous with? Well, that's synonymous with bond yields. If there's a bond yield of 5% and I'm comparing it against a company's equity earnings yield of 20%, well, the that's the 20% looks pretty good. And especially in, in this kind of interest rate environment where the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yield is, is something around, uh, um, I think, just under... 3%. And so, you know, you look at the available opportunities out there in other asset classes and you compare it against what the earnings yield is on a specific common stock and, you know, that's a way of basing basically gauging the alternative investments that are out there. Again, the reason why 5, 5 is uh, is a low number. I like low valuation stocks. I'm looking for value. And so, that's kind of how I formulate my my stock screens. So, after I look at the results, I'm going to be totally honest with you, just based on my experience, I would say nine times out of 10, over nine times, oh, even more than nine times out of 10, the companies on that list are going to be duds. They're going to be really, really ugly, but you're looking for a few really nice gems, really mispriced opportunities. And those are the kind of opportunities where you want to ask more questions and dig deeper. And so right after I... I generate the list. Let's say I've come across a few that I'm very, very interested in. The next, I think the next natural place where you could kind of get a little bit more of a glimpse into the, the company a little bit and learn a little bit more is just by punching the ticker into 
uh, Yahoo Finance. So the reason why I want to navigate to Yahoo Finance next is because a lot of people look at this resource and they just, because they haven't gone to business school or because they haven't pursued, you know, finance professionally, they they don't really know how to interpret this page. And I want to just briefly uh, touch on this so that you have some basis of understanding of what's going on on this page. And I know that you know, for those of you who are seeing this and are brand new, it's quite intimidating. So let's just go, you can go to Yahoo Finance with me, just type in any ticker symbol that you want. I put in Fiat Chrysler. While many of the metrics on this page are actually going to be quite useful and informative to you as an investor, I'm not going to go through every single one. I think I'd put you to sleep that way. But I'm going to walk through where my eyes go first. So where my eyes go first is where is the 52-week range? Now, if the, way, if the range is pretty wide, meaning if the stock price has, gone, has moved over 50% over a 52-week period of time, then that means the markets probably aren't able to price this asset all that well. And the reason why I say that is because company valuations, while, while you see quotes every single day and company valuations can, can move quite dramatically, the intrinsic worth of a business doesn't change so dramatically in a very short period of time. Think about your home, your home value. And I love utilizing that analogy because so many people own homes, but your home value is not going to change 60-80% within a, a three-month or even six-month period of time. I doubt it's going to even change that much within a year's period of time. Unless some catastrophic event occurs, let's say some some really terrible storm rolls to the neighborhood and your neighboring homes got really, really damaged or your home got damaged, that would probably be a reasonable cause for the valuation of your home to decline. But that doesn't occur on the average. Those are really outlier examples. In the same way, you can you can apply the same kind of paradigm to stocks to companies so even if you drive down the street and look at your local gas station they're not i mean the gas station's there today it was there yesterday and it's most likely going to be there tomorrow irrespective of where gas prices are going um over the near term so in the same way companies company valuations unless barring some really catastrophic event like a bankruptcy or some enormous fraudulent scam you know, companies, their valuations shouldn't decline 50% within two weeks periods of time, which from time to time you'll see happen occur in the stock market. And so you want to look for those kinds of mispricings. Okay, where do my eyes go next? I think the next place that my eye goes to is the market capitalization. And the market capitalization, the way to interpret that is is simply the the worth of owning that business effectively. Basically, it's the it's the entire sticker price for the whole company. So the reason why my eyes gravitate towards market cap next is because the larger the market capitalization, I think, let's say for Google, let's say if you go over there, <clears throat> I think the Google's market capitalization is over seven hundred fifty billion or something along those lines, as of the date of this recording. Let's actually take a look at that real quick. As of the date of this recording. Alphabet Inc.'s market capitalization is some $770 billion. The reason why that sticks out to me is because usually the larger the company, the more Wall Street analysts are covering it. And the more Wall Street analysts are covering it, it's most likely the case that there's more eyes on that particular company, the less likely and the less chance that there's going to be a mispricing. 
So that's why I like to look at the market cap. It gives me certain sets of uh, the size of the business. Plus, you know, it kind of it gives me some information as far as is there really a likelihood that there's a mispricing here? And then the next place where my eye gravitates to um, is the P.E. ratio and the EPS. So if you look at Yahoo Finance as of today, they have uh, P.E. ratio and then in parentheses TTM and then EPS parentheses TTM. TTM is trailing 12 months. So it's looking at the last 12 months or the last year. So P.E. ratio, uh, I, I think I just walked through defining what the P.E. ratio was. EPS, it's earnings per share. So it's earnings divided by the number of shares outstanding in the company. There's two ways of calculating outstanding shares. There's basic and diluted, but that's probably not a conversation for now. That's It's, it's very basic understanding. I mean, it's very basic, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So you know, earnings per share gives me uh, an idea as far as on a per share basis, how much earnings the company has generated. One little caveat, the financial metrics that are available up on these websites like Yahoo Finance, Google Finance, or even on, let's say on your brokerage account, they're not going to be the most accurate numbers. Uh, It may have largely to do with the fact that some analyst or some data, yeah, some data analyst is entering these numbers that are gap numbers. Gap numbers meaning they're just simply accounting earnings. They're not necessarily reflective of the economic earnings of the business. And so that's going to dive a little bit more into accounting. I think that's going to be a conversation for later again. But all you need to know, the reason why I bring that up is all you need to know is, again, the research doesn't end on these pages. The research doesn't end with the screener, nor does it end on Yahoo Finance. You have to do your own research. And that That's, I think, going to lead me in a little bit later down the road to kind of talking about some of these SEC filings that you're going to have to uh, access and tap into in in order to make the informed decision. So the next place my eye goes to is... um, dividend yield. I think dividend yield is going to be a little bit informative because it's going to it's going to tell you how much the company is going to pay you the shareholder back in terms of hard dollars for being a shareholder. And so not every single company issues dividends, but at least for the for the ones that do, they pay they pay out a portion of their earnings back to their shareholders and you get some money back through the form of dividends. And dividend yield is simply that dividend per share divided by the price in which you had paid. And so that's effectively the yield that you're getting. Uh, that's going to be informative to you if you care about uh, having receiving some income into your portfolio. And that I think that's kind of where my eye trails. And then I'll navigate over to statistics on the Yahoo Finance page to be able to kind of get a grasp of the capital structure of the business capital structure, meaning the financing makeup of the business. So what portion of it is debt? What portion of it is equity? Equity meaning uh, the ownership, what, like what is what portion of their assets is owned as opposed to being loaned from a bank or from bondholders or creditors rather. So there's one other metric on the Yahoo Finance page that people have asked me about that it's it's not all that important, but maybe it'll make you comfortable to know it's volume. Volume, it's I think volume is going to be much more relevant to institutional investors uh, rather rather than retail investors because 
And the reason why it's more informative to them is because uh, institutional investors, they have to think about how to layer in their investments and get out uh, by buying large, large numbers of shares, whereas retail investors aren't really all that concerned. So the only instance in which retail investors may have to pay attention to volume is when they're dabbling in penny stocks where there's very few shares being exchanged between buyers and sellers. And so it's it's a measure, volume is a measure of liquidity in that stock. And average volume is simply, you know, on average over the last 30 days, how many shares have been exchanged between buyers and sellers. So that's that's all you need to know about that, at least insofar as I understand. And so for me as an investor, when I take a quick browse through the Yahoo Finance page, I like the fact that the PE is still relatively low as being displayed on the Yahoo Finance page. I look at the price history. Yes, the stock price has tanked. There's dividend. There's, if I go to the statistics page, yeah, there's uh, relatively little debt. And so perhaps the enterprise value is smaller than the market capitalization. The enterprise value is another measure of the relative size and worth of the business considering the debt on the balance sheet. Balance sheet is one of the financial statements of the company. So um, I'm throwing a lot out out to you guys here, but uh, just bear with me. And so, you know, when I go over to the financial statements on the Yahoo Finance page and see that there's free cash flows also and that there's institutional, the insiders own a relatively large share of the business that these are all good pieces of information for me to decide, okay, yeah, it's worth it's worth my time to dig deeper. So the next step is, is you got to start accessing the real information. So all this information that I t- we talked about before, it's all preliminary information for you to be able to decide, do I want to actually do the research on this company? And so there are three places that you're going to want to go next. You're going to want to pull the SEC filings of this company. You're going to want to go to navigate to the investor relations page of the company. And then you're going to want to pull earnings conference call transcripts of the company. And I'm going to let me unpack all this for you so that you can understand. So SEC, what the heck is the SEC? It's the Securities and Exchange Commission. It's a government agency where every publicly traded company in the United States need to submit their filings or their financial information to. And they store a public database for investors and the general public to be able to access, to be able to look and conduct deep, deep research dives into uh, the fundamental characteristics of these publicly traded companies. Just broadly speaking, there are three types of filings that are going to be necessary for you as an investor to pull from the SEC database. And the database is called Edgar. So if you just Google SEC Edgar, let's do that real quick and we'll go there together. It'll get, it'll bring you to, uh, let's see, company search page. I think it's the first link that populates up. Once we click on that, there's going to be, you know, two search fields. There's going to be company name and then there's going to be a fast search. Under the fast search, just simply type in, you know, the company ticker. So if we were talking about Google, type in the Google ticker. It's G-O-O-G-L, press enter, and it's going to spit out um, all of the filings for this company. So a couple filings that you're going to want to know, 8K, 10Q, 10K. So 8K filings are any kind of material development that relates to the company. The company needs to file with the SEC and inform the public through the 8K. 10Q 
filing is after every quarter, uh, the company has to report earnings and it releases an earnings release form on its investor relations page and then also submits a 10Q eventually up onto the SEC. So you can find the earnings release on an 8K filing and then typically at a later date, you'll find a more comprehensive earnings filing through the 10Q. The 10Q is a smaller version of the annual 10K. The 10K is is an annual filing that gives you a very, very in-depth analysis of the company. And it's going to lay down all the risks, characteristics of the company. It's going to lay down all the financials, give you notes behind all the assumptions for the financial statements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These filings, you need to look into them and you need to read them and in order to understand the underlying operating economic characteristics of this business. So when I was in equity research, I would be diving into these filings and essentially building the company's financial model. So build the P&L or the profit and loss statements, the balance sheet and the cash flows and, and, and project out for the future. What does the future of this company look like based on from, a, from an earning standpoint? And now the next thing that you're going to want to go to is the investor relations page. The beauty of the investor relations page and the reason why that resource is going to give you differentiated information from from what's available on the SEC Edgar filings is that a lot of the information on the investor relations page can be forward-looking. So investor presentation slides, presentation slides that are going to be disseminated in conjunction with earnings conference calls, all this information is going to be absolutely critical for you as the investor to be able to start formulating, piecing together like a mosaic all the information so that you could see the true picture of the company. Sometimes in these uh, investor presentation slides, so management also even give you what's called guidance. Guidance as far as what management anticipates are future earnings, future profits, future expectations around the company. In those bits of information, you can embed into your financial model, which as you build based on the 10K, 10Q, and the 8K filings as provided in the SEC. Okay, so in the last piece, here's where you're going to get the additional color that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. It's the earnings conference calls. So in the earnings conference calls, after every single quarter that the company reports earnings, the company gets on a conference call and discusses how did they perform, what are their forward expectations, uh, what are their concerns? And they also have a Q&A with Wall Street analysts. And so there you'll get a, a lot of context as far as what Wall Street is thinking about, how management is anticipating the future economics of their business and what they anticipate um, in terms of what the profits are going to look like over the next coming quarters or even what they how they're how they're performing relative to the agenda that they had established earlier on. And so, you know, the earnings conference calls, you can actually hop on the conference calls and dial in and listen as the call's going on. Or if you're if you're not av- available to kind of get on those calls, you can print out transcripts that are available on Seeking Alpha. Seeking Alpha is that online resource that I talked about earlier during this episode. And you could go type in the ticker in Seeking Alpha 
and then it, it, you can access the earnings transcript over there and all these things are going to be absolutely critical for you to arrive at your own independent opinion about a company. It's not being filtered through some other author. It's not being filtered through some other analyst or some talking head on CNBC. This is this is the grunt work that's absolutely critical for you to be informed and for you to create your own opinion. I know I threw a lot at you, but it's the th- this is the thrill of in- finding these really incredible undervalued opportunities. And what I told you right now, it's not—it's nothing new. I mean, there's there's thousands, if not millions, of people, millions of people doing this. You know, accessing these bits of information and trying to arrive at their own opinions. But you know, it, as long as you're thinking differently, and as long as you're pulling the strings on those companies that uh, most people aren't looking into, yeah, you are going to stumble into those opportunities that are truly different and that are truly mispriced. Let me just quickly summarize again. So the the key pieces of of information that you're going to have to get is going to come from the SEC Edgar database, the investor relations webpage of the company, and the earnings conference call transcripts. So, and then within the SEC, the documents that you're going to be really concerned about are going to be the 8Ks, the 10Qs, and the 10Ks. And those documents will will really lay out the full picture of the company. And they have to be read and analyzed in conjunction with the other two resources that I just mentioned. And so that's, in a nutshell, what's, what's going to be absolutely required for you to make an informed decision. Okay, so here I, I want to add just my own little personal notes. So from my experience... After having done all of that research, from a psychological standpoint, I have found that I gravitate towards thinking, okay, at least subconsciously, I've done the homework, this should be a buy because I've just done all this research. But that's obviously illogical. Don't, don't slide into the temptation after having done all this countless amount of, countless hours of research don't slide into the temptation that all of a sudden this is a an investment buy. You always, even at the start, in the middle, and especially at the end of your research, you still need to be emotionally detached and arrive at a logical conclusion as far as is this an investable opportunity? Is there uh, a significant disparity between the true intrinsic value of this business relative to the price in which in which it's being offered to me because that's essentially the upside potential that you want to be able to realize and so make sure that your your psychology and your presence of mind is there so that you don't fool yourself into buying something that simply because you've done the homework simply because you've spent all those hours um, all of a sudden now it's it's an investable opportunity. That's not the case. And I hope you don't fall into that that trap that, you know, I know that I've set myself up for in the past. A couple of last few minute resources uh, that are definitely going to complement all these other three things that I talked about. Uh, I, I said it earlier on, Bloomberg, uh, Wall Street Journal, Barron's, New York Times, these publications, they're going to be great for adding any kind of additional color that's something perhaps that you didn't 
uh, look into or didn't tap into in terms of um, maybe they raised certain questions that you never did during your research process. And then lastly, uh, certain discount brokerage platforms, they actually offer their equity research reports to the investment community for free, which is, I think, an invaluable resource. Again, you don't want to follow what an equity research analyst is going to say all the time, but you just want to use them as a complement to your research. They're not the research for you. I mean, like their research isn't the end-all be-all. It's just simply to complement your own opinion as you're formulating yourself. So I know that Merrill Edge, which is Merrill Lynch's discount retail platform, Merrill Edge, they will offer uh, Bank of America's equity research product through the Merrill Edge platform. And so, you know, you'll get a sense for what their analysts are anticipating in terms of forward earnings expectations, industry context. Um, Even sometimes you'll find industry primers up on there. And what that is, it kind of gives you a broad overview for understanding the industry dynamics and the players that are, that are, um, in the, in the industry in which your company that you're looking at is involved with. So a lot of stuff out there. But I think, again, like I said earlier, and like I said, I think in episode, I think in episode one, this is kind of the beauty of the process. You have to enjoy the process in order to actually go through the, the hassle of doing all this research. It's, uh, it, it's For me, it's a really intellectually rewarding process. I, I really like it because you learn a ton. And I hope, you know, I hope you, you do too. Uh, and if you don't, as of today, I hope you eventually will come to enjoy the learning process. You, you learn a lot about how the world works, um, much of the world in which you don't even see. And so that's, uh, I think that's really, really interesting. So I think that's going to sum up pretty much how to source ideas, at least one way to source ideas using screeners. Uh, where my eyes go to next, I just you know punch the ticker in uh, from a screen that I like. Uh, if there's a company that piques my interest, I'll punch that ticker in into Yahoo Finance. Do a little quick deeper dive. Do I want to, you know, go through the hassle of reading all the documentation, all the analysis? Yahoo Finance will kind of give me that picture, and then from there, if uh, yeah, I do want to dig deeper. The next following steps is to pull all all of the real research documentation in order for you to arrive at that informed place. Okay, so I want to conclude this episode with two quotes that I think are tremendous for thinking about you know this whole exercise around the research process and and what's required to intelligently invest over the long term. So these quotes come from. Uh, the same cast of characters, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett from episode one. And so here's the first one. It says, in my whole life, I have known no wise person over a broad subject matter area who did not read all the time. None. Zero. That's Charlie Munger. And then uh, here's Warren Buffett. Uh, there's nothing about the price action of the stock that tells you whether you should keep owning it. What tells you you should keep owning it is what you expect the company to do in the future versus the price at which it is selling. Now, compared to other opportunities of businesses that you think you know equally well and make that same comparison. And that is all there is to owning stocks. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but if you can unpack that and you understand what he's saying, I think that's just pure genius. 
So with that, I hope that was all really helpful to you guys. I, you know, it would be so great to me just personally if I can help you guys in any kind of way through these podcasts, and especially in terms of making better decisions investing-wise over the long term. So, okay, I think that's going to be a wrap. I hope that I'll catch you on the next episode. All right, take care, guys. Bye. The opinions expressed in this podcast reflects the opinions of the presenter at the time they were made and are subject to change any time after the date of the podcast's production without notice. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. While the statements made in this podcast is based on publicly available information and is believed to be accurate as of the date given, no representation is made with regard to its accuracy or completeness. This podcast and the affiliated content are neither an offer nor a solicitation to buy or sell securities. The presenter and its affiliates may directly hold securities mentioned in this material.